You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for Sports Talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Tuesday, April the 16th. I'm your host, D.A., and the NBA playoffs gave us a what-just-happened moment? In Game 2, Western Conference, first round, the Golden State Warriors built a 31-point lead over the 8-seed L.A. Clippers. Now, the Clippers just being in the postseason is a story Unto itself, most people expected them to finish out of the playoffs and maybe as low as 30 wins or so. And yet here's Doc Rivers and this group of merry men, cast-offs, leading all the way to an NBA playoff spot. But down 31 to the defending two-time NBA champions. I mean, nothing's going to happen at Oracle, right? Wrong. They come all the way back, down 31, and close things out. And now we have a tied series, one game apiece, going back to Staples Center in Los Angeles. So how did this happen? And how do the people in Golden State and the Bay Area react to something like this? Here's Joe Lowen Dibs on 95.7 of the game in San Francisco. What emotion were you feeling after last night's game, Dibs? Just disbelief. Complete shock and disbelief that that had happened. Because you see the domination in the first half. It's another motorboating in process. And you're thinking, all right, cool. Fourth quarter. We'll see you at Ebco. We might even see Evans. We'll see all the fellas out there in a, in a laugher of a 12 minutes. I, I'm still in disbelief, Joe, that that happened. I don't believe what I just saw, to, to quote the great Jack Buck, not Joe Buck, the great Jack Buck. Dan Dibley goes with the D word, disbelief, very on brand. Lorenzo Neal, the emotion you were feeling at the conclusion of last night's game. I stayed up for it and... Noble. I, I was just disappointed. I think of sickening over it. It was just, and and for me, you had so many different emotions because you had a team that was you were so dominant, but you were disbelief. But I was stunned, and I was upset. I, the reason why I was upset, sorrow. Yeah, and I was upset. Not just sorrow. It was upset because the officiating sucked. That you asked me what was the what was the what draw me to that? Yeah, it was a huge comeback. One of the worst officiating games I've ever seen. We'll get to the takes. Yeah, I like but the it, takes. but it, but it, but, but th- that's the that's what drove my emotions to to, to see it. And it's like, wow, the officiating drove you to the, sadness, to yes, sorrow. Yes, yes, that's on brand as well. Of course, <laughs> yes. when in doubt, blade and zebras. It's great. <laughs> I'm going to tell you flat out, and this is 100 percent honesty. Uh, the number one emotion for me, excitement, pure excitement, right now. And it's not because they lost. It's because this is interesting. And I am in the business of what's interesting. And this has become thoroughly interesting for a variety of reasons. The Boogie Cousins injury. What the hell happened in the second half of that game? This right here is a great collection of talent. I don't know if this is a great team. That's what I'm taking away from last night. That's what I've been taking away from the whole season. You are, without question, the best collection of talent in the NBA. I'm starting to wonder if you're the best team. Because that was deplorable last night. That's what that second half was. It was deplorable. Game was done. It was in hand. You've got everything you need. Sure, Boogie's hurt. But again, you have nothing but assets at your disposal. And you found a way to let it get away from you. 
Acceptable against Phoenix, acceptable against Dallas. It's been nothing but excuses all year, and that's been fine because moments like this don't happen. Moments like this don't happen, so I am excited. Every Rocky Balboa movie of all time has featured adversity in the early rounds or the middle rounds or the later rounds. You do not have Balboa fights where he goes out there and wins in two. I know he got Clubber Lang, but there was a lot of animosity leading up to that. This is thoroughly exciting. Contrast this with the first round last year against the Spurs. There was nothing exciting about that. Even when the Spurs won a game, there was nothing exciting about that. We have a genuine, bona fide exciting, interesting element on our hands. I'm trying to figure out what the bigger concern, though, is now. The 1-1 split and the fact that this team clearly is not like a team we've seen in the past or the Boogie Cousins injury. I think it's still the 1-1 split, and I know that Lowe's going to be on the other side of this because he was the one who said that uh, Boogie Cousins was the key to them winning a title and that they wouldn't be able to win it Without him, not to take your words, but I think it's fascinating that we're going to get to see this, this actually. Words. We're going to see this actually play out though now because Demarcus, it appears with a torn quad, if indeed that is what it is, an it's MRI right. later today. I, I said the same thing, Logue, when I saw it. Having worked with you now for almost three years, and you start to see injuries in a different light, I still think the one-one split is of greater concern because I'm maybe in your camp, Joe, thinking that. You probably shouldn't and don't need to have another all-star DeMarcus Cousins to win the title. You should have enough collection of talent, certainly to get by this Clippers team, but that was truly alarming yesterday, the way they collapsed. All right, let's focus on the injury for just a second. Boogie goes down about, what, four minutes into that game. 3.51 exactly. He goes down as he's chasing down a loose ball. Big fella's trying to get after it. They call it a left quad injury. Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN is saying that the fear is that it is a season-ending quad tear. I immediately thought of you with this because you used to tell me the story about, was it the hamstring you injured against the Steelers in the playoffs? Yeah. And when it goes, it goes. It, it wraps up, right? Because yeah. Charles Barkley said after the game that he had suffered a quad tear before, and when it tears, it folds up like a window sheet. Yeah. Now, is this one-off or speaking to something bigger about the Golden State Warriors? I think it's just a one-off. I mean, yes, DeMarcus Cousins going down with an injury is a big deal just because when he's healthy and right, it gives them yet another weapon, especially on the interior. But they don't need a boogie to win a championship. They've proven that three times in the last four years. But what they do need to have is that focus and intensity that it takes when you're this late in a run, now year number five, to not give up your guard and let inferior teams close you out and take advantage of going to sleep. And they didn't do that last night. An inferior team came back from down 31 and grabbed a win. Now, this might just end up waking up the Warriors, and they might not lose again in the postseason, but it's a word of the wise. Golden State's not good enough to take naps in the middle of games, no matter who it's against, no matter how big their lead is. In the Eastern Conference last night, the Philadelphia 76ers, not their series at one, dropping 145 points on the Brooklyn Nets in a game two victory, including 51 points in the third quarter where they pulled away. It's Philly and it's New York. So let's listen to both those sides. Here's New York sports radio host Chris Carlin from WFAN joining Angelo Cataldi in Philadelphia on WIP, comparing the two coaches in this matchup. I think it's pretty close. I think Atkinson's very good. Um, he, he's very good. And it's funny, you know, the two of them went through similar circumstances with, with all the losing the Nets did the last couple of years. 
except they didn't have the picks that they were, you know, they had already traded them away uh, in one of the dumbest deals of all time in the Paul Pierce deal uh, a few years back. Now, I think Atkinson is a good tactician. I think he does a lot of things right. I think people uh, overlook him, and I think he's very similar to Brett Brown that way. But look, you know, people have gotten on Brett before because of, you know, end of game plays, things like that. And of course, the other day, I think it's pretty even. I don't think there's I don't think there's an advantage one way or the other when it comes to the coach. And frankly, you know, how much of a how how much of a difference does that make except in 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 small doses and in small instances? You know, when you're drawing up plays and such. Maybe maybe here and there. I, I think ultimately it's it's all about the talent. All right, but I got to tell you, Chris, and and you know, our show we make a lot out of very little at times, as we should. We we love the halftime speech in which Brown went berserk. Uh, we got Butler and Harris saying to us that they never heard, uh, play Butler, Joe. He, the, the guy went off on a profanity-laced tirade. Listen to Jimmy Butler describe it. Okay, Brett, I see you. Yeah, he, he came in here, said a few cuss words. Shocked me a little bit, to tell you the truth. That's that, that's that type of energy I love. Um, he was making sure everybody did their job, letting them know uh, you, you can't have it. It's not winning basketball, and we came out and do what we were supposed to do. I love this. You know, I, I love it when people get cussed out, yelled at, and say, you know, you can't do it. It's your fault. I'm all for it. So Brett Brown loses it 51-23 third quarter. Cause yeah. and effect? I, oh, of course. Yeah, listen. I mean, but, I mean, game one, you lose the game. Yeah. And then in the first half of that game, you, you're, you're, you're in control, but you're not, you know, you're not up 15 or 20 like you should be. They were in control. And then the last few minutes of the half, the Nets close it and tie it. And, of course, the, the sequence, they go into the locker room up one. If I was Brett Brown, I'd be cursing too. I'd be, I'd be yep. peeling the paint off the walls. Yep. And, and, and why that's effective in that spot? You know how this is, Ange. Some guys, when they do that and they haven't done it before, it comes across as a little bit fake. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think with Brett Brown, it doesn't. I think that those guys responded to Brett in that spot because they do respect him a lot as a coach. That's one thing that's always been the case. We all know he's always been a player's coach. And I think that the last night was one of those instances where it didn't come across fake. It came across genuinely pissed off. And frankly, I would have been too. I think what Kenny Atkinson has done is superior to what Brett Brown has done. I mean, look, Kenny Atkinson doesn't have Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Yes, D'Angelo Russell's turned into a fine player, but he doesn't have nearly the talent that Philadelphia does. And what Atkinson has done with this group of guys is pretty amazing. So comparing the coaches, to me, huge leg up for Atkinson and the Nets. And now they come back to Barclay Center with what they wanted, a split out of the first two. To baseball, we just celebrated Jackie Robinson Day yesterday, the day in 1947 that Jackie crossed the color barrier and changed sports in America for good. Now, Jackie, a Hall of Famer, but not quite one of the greatest players of all time because he didn't play long enough in Major League Baseball, only a 10-year career because of how long he played before that in the Negro Leagues and the Minor Leagues getting to Major League Baseball. So who is the greatest baseball player of all time. And where does Mike Trout perhaps fit on that list? A guy that's seen a lot of them, 
Peter Gammons joined Dan Cilio at 97.3 The Fan in San Diego. Someone said to me, who is the greatest player of all time? Now, I understand because of the era, I would probably say Ruth, but in um, the era of my lifetime, um, I'd be hard-pressed to put anyone ahead of that Henry Aaron. And Joe Torre used to say to me, Peter, he's the only ball player I ever saw that never made a mistake, not in the field, not on the rust, uh, on the bases, never overthrew a cutoff, man. It was perfect. And I remember talking, you know, watching a game, sitting in, in, and watching a World Series game with Henry, and he, he said, you know, Willie Mays would have been the lead on SportsCenter every night um, with something he did. So that was boring. I just did the same thing every day. And that's part of why he might be the greatest player, because he was so consistent. Baseball is a game of consistency. It's not, I mean, people go crazy over Yasiel Puig. Yasiel Puig's not a good baseball player. I'm sorry, he's a terrible baseball player. Uh, I mean, or mediocre baseball player. He has a, he, there's no consistency to his game. Whereas Aaron was, was a metronome, and, and I, I think that's really important. Um, and it's, you know, it, it was for all the, all he went through, and he's, he talked to me many times about some of the train rides when they would come north. Uh, the, the Braves, even though they were then in Milwaukee, um, they still barnstormed north by train with the Red Sox and played in like four or five cities at the end of spring training. But um, the Aaron and Billy Bruton and a couple of the other African Americans on the team, um, George Crow, I think, was on that team. Um, they all had to stay in a separate hotel from the, from the, the, all, the, all the rest of the Braves and Red Sox players, um, with the exception of one man who broke it, and that was Ted Williams, because Ted Williams always considered himself more Mexican than, than I, I guess, it, uh, uh, what should we call it, Miller, Andrew Miller, I mean, not Andrew, an uh, uh, awful person uh, in the White House, uh, Miller. Uh, would consider him uh, Americans versus Mexicans. Is that, is that <laughs> what, where we define? define hey, you're not. You're not taking that. me. You're not taking me there, Peter. <laughs> I always felt it was a little bit weird that after the passing of Joe DiMaggio, we didn't pass on the mantle of the greatest living ball player. DiMaggio insisted that he was introduced as that when he was at the end of his life. And then in many ways, Ted Williams kind of garnered that mantle as well. But after Ted Williams passed away, we didn't really do that again. And we should because it's either Willie Mays or Hank Aaron. No doubt about it. And what you think about what is crazy about Hank Aaron is that he had 755 home runs, obviously. He is the all-time home run leading record holder for non-cheaters. 755, you could take away all 755 home runs, and he still had 3,000 hits. That's how well-rounded as a hitter Hank Aaron was. So I'd have no problem saying that Hank Aaron is the greatest living ball player and was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, baseball player of all time. The golf world still reflecting on Tiger Woods' incredible win in the Masters on Sunday. And Gary Player knows Tiger as well as anybody. And he joined the score in Chicago with McNeil and Parkins. And Gary Player had an interesting anecdote, admitting that Tiger Woods had told him that he was not going to play anymore, that he was done. Let's listen to Gary Player. And I'll tell you what. I don't have anybody, even if you're not a Tiger Woods fan, I happen to be a Tiger Woods fan, that wouldn't be happy to see him in the tournament. Honestly, Danny, for what he's been through, 
a divorce. He had problem, all kinds of problems. He's not a good sleeper. He um, he had to take a lot of painkillers when he was in pain. He had to take a lot of uh, pills to help him sleep with the pain that he was in. And I remember, vividly remembered Augusta at the dinner two years ago. He said, I'm done. He said to me, I'm done. He said, my back is all locked up. Then he finds this really outstanding doctor that does a great job in the operation. But we must give Tiger credit. He's a hard worker and a hard exerciser. And if we can get the young people of this great country to exercise, it'll be a massive step in productivity because the young people in America now are not eating well and they're not exercising and there's too much of a sense of entitlement. They've got to work hard to keep this the greatest country in the world. Gary Player, strong stuff, and he would know as a three-time Masters champion. So Tiger Woods told you he didn't think he was ever going to win again. I assume then you didn't, right? You you did not think Tiger Woods was ever going to win again. No, no, he I'll never, no. He said, I'm done. He said, I don't know if I'll ever be able to play again. I, people ask me, and I'm very honest, they said, do you think you'll ever win a major championship again? I said, I don't think so. This, Danny, is the greatest comeback. You know, when you say something like this, you need time to sit down and think about it. But if you'll excuse me without really contemplating and putting and pondering and putting a lot of thought into it, my first thought is that Tiger Woods' win this week was the greatest comeback I've seen in sport. Just think of the things he had to go through. Contracts cancelled, divorce. Um, spinal you know, fusion. <laughs> spinal fusion. Four back operations. Four, not one. And let me tell you, when you have four back operations, it can pop any time. Three knee operations. When you think what happened to him, honest to goodness, I mean, it is absolutely I think it's a miracle, and I take my hat off to him, and it's going to be fascinating to see now if he can match Jack Nicholas's major championships, even at 43, because Nicholas won at 46. If his back stands up, if his back stands up, he'll have a great chance of doing it now. This has changed the whole, the whole um, idea that he couldn't do it. And uh, he's look, have you seen how good he's looking? He's lost weight. He's looking like a lightweight, heavyweight champion, and he's still focused. But off the golf course, he has really mellowed a lot, which has endeared himself to a lot of people. So things are looking good. And it was, for me, very touching when I saw his father, because my father loved me and my golf and reminded me of my father. His father gave him this long hug when he won. And today or yesterday, there he is giving his son a hug. And maybe one day his son will give him a hug. That's a pretty amazing story and truly amazing to think about where he is now, having basically admitted, I'm not going to play anymore. I'm done with my golf career. And now winning the Masters the way that he did, fending off all challengers and being as steely-eyed and as ice-cold in his veins as he possibly could have been in his prime on Sunday, that is truly amazing that he climbed all the way back to do what he just did. The NFL Draft is a week from Thursday. And what will the Cardinals do at number one? Everybody assumes it's going to be Kyler Murray to pair with Cliff Kingsbury, their new head coach. But if they took Josh Rosen early last year and then choose Kyler Murray again early this year, will the Cardinals regret taking quarterbacks back-to-back years that early? Here's Jamie and Stoney, our friends on Detroit, on the ticket 97.1. I think the Cardinals are going to end up ruining the day that this whole, I mean, this two year span where they took 
um, Josh Rosen and Kyler Murray, which is, I assume, who they're going to take in consecutive drafts. I wonder how far that's going to set the franchise back to draft quarterbacks early in the first round in two consecutive years. I know it's a different front office, different coaching staff, but still, that sucks. Um, but if Murray's a star, who cares? You got a star at quarterback, that mission accomplished, NFL okay. 101. Right. The number one goal. But he needs to be a, la- a lap better than Rosen, I think. Yeah. Like if Rosen goes on and has a very good career and Murray has a very good career, then it's like, why did you go all gaga over a guy when you had our, you know, it's the one in the hand, two in the right. bush scenario. Right. right, but there's people who think he's going to be Mahomes 2.0. I, I don't believe that. I don't think I so either. I don't think he has to be to garner the number one pick either. No, no, I agree. But Bosa is exactly what the Lions need. He's everything you want from a player. Everything you read about him is that not only does he love, you know, he, he has a passion for the game in addition to having a passion for preparing for the game. He just seems like one of these all-in kids where he's going to come in you're not going to worry about off-field stuff. You're not going to worry about the work ethic. You're not going to worry about any of it. And he's exactly what would help the Lions, an edge rusher. Now. You're down on him because he's white. No. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm trying to predict I'm what Tony's, not, I'm I'm trying to predict what Tony's him, butt's going to be. But the fact is he got injured. His brother's been injured before. I don't know if there's. <laughs> His brother got injured before? Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm aware of that, but I you're going to hold that against him? I don't know. He might have... Genetic? He, he might have an injury. He might have an injury history. <laughs> Those Bosas, they always get hurt. He came back and played well at the end of the year. Joey did, yeah. 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 yeah Nick, I like the bloodline. I think that's a positive. Right. I, I mean... Oh, I, as far as production, yeah. I right. just, you know, I just worry about injuries. Coming off an injury in college, sometimes, I don't know. I've never heard the connection between a brother no. and somebody else getting hurt. It replaces Ziggy. Yeah, exactly. And 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 all you know, you mentioned it when you had your pick, Quinn and Williams. There is strength at the defensive tackle position. Now I, that doesn't change, like no, because Ashawn Robinson probably is a free agent. I think after this year or the next year, Snacks has what two more years left. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the draft is for the future too. Is there anybody out there other than Paul Sarah who would take a quarterback? You know, who thinks that either Haskins or Murray is good enough that it would be, you know, you just go out and get him. Get a guy like that. I, I to, to have that cap hit for Stafford, whether you trade him or keep him, mm-hmm. to me is not worth it. If you're going to do that type of move, you do it the following year, and there's going to be more quarterbacks available the following year. You're probably right, but I was having this conversation with somebody who knows the lines a lot better than I do, and he made the point. It's kind of like Gov said about Mike Murray. If you get the guy, you get the guy. Right. Like, you take the cap. So what? I mean, yes. Does it prevent what you do in the next year or so? Yes, it does. But it, it if, you, if you decide that it's time to move on and there's a guy there who you think is worth moving on to, go ahead and do it. I've got a lot of questions about whether Kyler Murray can be a guy, a star, a game changer in the NFL. And we've talked about this a lot. The conference he played in, the offense he played in, his short stature. All of the things that you have question marks about are added and compounded because of his height. And now you're going to throw him on a bad team that last year was a disaster and that Josh Rosen looked like a, a bust in. Do we trust all of this along with a head coach that was sub 500 by 16 games in his college career in the Big 12? That's who's going to lead them. An unstable franchise with an unstable head coach. And 
We're going to ask him, Kyler Murray, to overcome all of the other odds we just talked about. I don't see it. I wouldn't want to do it. And if Kyler Murray ends up being a bust, then it is going to be truly a long nightmare for the Cardinals spending that type of draft collateral on two guys that didn't end up paying dividends. And finally, the XFL is coming in spring of 2020. We just saw the demise of the Alliance, the AAF, who should be getting ready for their playoffs, but instead ended their league. And so now can the XFL do what the Alliance could not provide a successful spring football league? Well, Oliver Luck is the CEO, the de facto commissioner, and he joined WWL Sports Talk in New Orleans and former Saints quarterback Bobby Hebert. And Hebert's question is, Will the XFL end up allowing and accepting high school players instead of going to college to play in the XFL? Because that could be a game changer. We have to be very careful, right? Because, you know, our, compared to all the other sports that, that already allow that, you know, a kid coming right. straight out of high school, you know, football is by far the most physical sport. And, you know, I think about, uh, you know, my physical stature at 18 and then my stature when I went into the league at, you know, age 22. I'm sure the same thing would apply, you know, to you and Jim right. and any of the other, you know, great players you played. I think about my son, you know, what he looked like as a high school senior in Houston, Texas, and what he looked like when, you know, the Colts drafted him, you know, in, in 2012. You. So, yeah, out of Stanford after four years of lifting weights and putting, you know, putting muscle on and, and learning the game, uh, you know, as, as, as well as you can. So uh, we, we have to be very careful, but, you know, we certainly have that opportunity. And, you know, quite honestly, if, if, if a young man does want to make money, you know, and, and be compensated as a professional athlete, and is good enough to to play in our league. You know, that's that's one of the questions. We're we're going to launch in 2020 with eight franchises, with eight teams. We don't have anywhere near as many players as the National Football League does. So you know, there's there's we think there's going to be a pretty good quality of play in our league. And you know, is a high school player really good enough to compete against men who are in some cases four or five, six years older? who've all had NFL experience or, or, you know, experience in the CFL or, or maybe even in, uh, you know, some of the other leagues that, that have been around. So uh, it's a good question. Something we'll take a long, hard look at. Oliver, how will the second time around for the XFL uh, prove longstanding longevity opposed to the, the other league of the AAF who folded shortly after they opened? And, and, and Oliver, along those lines, uh, I'm looking way back now, old school, the USFL, spring, summer league, uh, uh, to me, if it had stayed at 12 teams instead of jumping to 18, and I remember with Donald Trump with the generals and, and wanting to move to the fall, said, so, well, that's not going to work to go head-to-head. I know with the Michigan Panthers, we were more popular than the Detroit Lions. I'll look at the Tampa Bay Bandits. Coach Spurry, Steve Spurry was the head coach there. Uh, they were making money. Uh, but but it just seems like another league can work if it's done right. Well, I, Bobby, I believe 100%. I was playing for the Oilers when the USFL was in existence, and I used to go watch gambler games in the old Astrodome. You were, I probably right. watched you play okay. against Kelly. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, the run and shoot that the Houston Gamblers had. So I, I think the answer, Christian, to your question is really three things. Number one is time. Uh, Vince McMahon has given us time to plan our league, you know, go out and hire coaches like Bob Stoops, who's going to be coaching our Dallas franchise. Uh, so we have we've, we have the time, and, and there's no substitute for time when you're launching you know a brand new venture. Number two is money, and uh, I say that because Vince McMahon, who's our owner, has committed some serious capital, hundreds of millions of dollars to to see this thing through. He went through it back in 2001. I think he's learned a lot of lessons from uh, the mistakes that were made back in 2001, 
and we're really focused on, on, on football and, and providing a quality game. The third thing, and I'll reference what Bobby said about the, uh, the USFL moving up against the NFL head-to-head. You know, nobody, nobody wins against the NFL head-to-head, right? Right. Uh, football in the fall, the NFL is an absolute juggernaut. I love the league, and, you know, it's silly to try to compete against the league. So the third thing is having, you know, the, the disciplined decision-making to remind ourselves every day of who we are, and that is an upstart spring league, wants to play fast-paced, up-tempo football, offer a good product to the fans, make it family-affordable, have a little bit of fun with the game, and, and in a sense, stay in our lane, right? right? Offer a good product at a good price, which is, I think, what every business person tries to do, and uh, you know, banish any thought of competing with the National Football League or, for that matter, the SEC and major college football. You know, the fall has plenty of really good football. We, what we want to do is offer good football for 12 weeks in the spring. Sounds like Luck is backing off of that possibility. But if you had guys going directly to the XFL out of high school, then suddenly you have the best college players, perhaps, or some of the best college players, instead of playing in college, playing in the XFL. The problem is the hype machine isn't big enough coming out of high school in football to create stars the way that it does in high school basketball. So I don't know if many people are going to be tuning in saying, oh, I've got to see this guy because I don't know if there can be a Zion of high school football. But that is going to be a bridge to cross, and it wouldn't surprise me if the XFL warms to that idea if they feel like the rest of their business plan is in catching. That's the best in your sports talk for Tuesday, April the 16th. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.